Well, thank you. Jessica, that was a wonderful story. Thank you for that. So, well, good morning. My name is Aisha Thomas, and I've been attending Crossroads for 16 years. I really love it here because I've always felt welcome, like authentically welcome. Like I could make a difference in life by being a part of this place. So for those of you that don't know me, I'm an educator by trade, but I also have a big heart for studying topics important to me. And I read and I write a lot. It brings me a lot of joy. Well, let me back up. You know, right now I'm at the tail end of a three-year journey of getting my doctorate, and I really don't enjoy the reading and writing process. In that journey, it's really hard. Um, you know, I've wanted to quit like five times in the last five months, to be honest. So. But why haven't I quit? Well, it's because my children, my family, my friends, they encourage me to keep going. And encouragement is such a tiny task, but with a big payoff. And so today, I'd like to teach you about some ways I believe Jesus is encouraging us all to be active peacemakers in this life. So I love my Bible, not the Bible, my Bible, because my Bible is pink. I mean, how cool is that, right? I mean, how could I not be filled with joy when I do my Bible study? It's pink, and I love pink so much. And another thing I love about my pink Bible is that it's written in CSB, Christian Standard Bible. CSB is a more modern, more inclusive way of reading the Bible. In fact, it was first published in 2017. So the other thing that I love about my Bible is that all of the contributing um, editors are primarily women. And I mean, it's literally titled, She Reads Truth. <laughs> Come on. So my point in telling you about my Bible is, is not to sell you my Bible, okay, but really to encourage you to find a version that works for you. If you're reading the Bible and you're just not feeling it, Try another edition, try another uh, standard, try another publisher, and find the one that works for you. But please, find a version that you love and you want to dig into the wisdom that this book provides. That's what we are doing today. We're going to use my Bible to learn about and to love becoming a peacemaker. Amen? Yeah, I like feedback. I grew up in a black church, so Amen? I love it. Okay, so each summer, Crossroads does this campfire story series. It's so fun. And funny enough, my Bible has campfire stories in it. Oh, my gosh. And not only that, they're told from the female perspective. So I'm going to be showing a few, uh, sharing a few of them with you today. For the most part, we're going to explore Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the first three books of the New Testament. So we're going to start in Matthew 21, where Jesus is entering Jerusalem a week before his death. He's riding on a donkey, and the people of the city have gathered to see him. They are excited to see him. They see him as a holy prophet, and they are paying him tribute by yelling out, Hosanna! Hosanna! So let's listen. Only Jesus knew the gravity of what the crowd was asking when they shouted, Hosanna! that day. It was a shout of adoration, but it was also a plea because the word Hosanna literally means come save us now. And this is exactly what he would do. 
The next day, Jesus walked into the temple, flipping over tables, tossing money to the floor, and the Hosanna shouters must have been shocked to see the man on the donkey driving the sellers out of the table with such authority. And this is what Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of thieves. But it's what he did next that was truly radical. He invited the least inside. The blind, the lame, the children all came in and Jesus welcomed them, healed them, and confirmed their place with him. He cleared out those who had profaned the temple and ushered in those who humbly sought out God. So when I picture the scene, I can see myself on the, in the wings, you know, just outside of the building, you know, when I'm nervous, I'm afraid, I'm drawn to this house of God, but I just watch and I wait. Because those inside, like, they seem to have it all together. You know, they're bringing riches rather than sacrifice, doing religion like a business. And all I have is this little humble offering in my hands that I carried in a long journey from my home over rocky roads and mistake-laden miles. But then I see him, and right before my eyes, I watch him turn it on its side all the pretension and the injustice and the darkness that kept me at bay. He sends those who've come not for God, but for God's. He sends those out. And then he looks me in the eye, me, lame, frightened, filthy from days of travel. He looks at me and he sees me. He motions for me to come in and then he tells me I belong. I cried out, Hosanna, save me not knowing what I was really asking. And he rode on through the streets and into the city knowing exactly what was coming. He would soon die, but not before he cleansed his house of prayer and invited me in. This is our Christ. He welcomes in the defenseless and he becomes their defense. He brings the weak to himself and makes them strong. He desires not the shiny sacrifices that our pride wishes to bring, but only a heart that is stayed on him. He saves us when we call out to him. Only he knows what our hearts truly need as we cry out, Hosanna! And he knew it even then. So we are exploring today the two things that Jesus wanted from us. He wanted us to learn and to love. He wanted us to learn to live without worry. Anybody need that in their life? Just curious. Amen? Yes. To learn to live generously. To learn to live to follow Jesus spiritually, not biblically. To love to invite others and serve them. To love to invite others to, into our circle. And to love through faith. So part of my story is that I've been an educator for 21 years. The last half of my career uh, I spent as a school principal. Actually, fun fact, John Berg, um, when I was the principal at an elementary school, John Berg was my AP for five years. So the legacy lives on. You're welcome. Alrighty. But now, now I get to travel the U.S. and coach schools with the focus on teaching and learning. So needless to say, the space that I feel most comfortable in is teaching. I really, really enjoy the process of grappling with a topic, like breaking it down for understanding, and then putting it back together for real-life application. Sorry, give me one quick sec. 
We got our notes mixed up. So that's what we are doing today. When I first heard of the five unacceptable truths, they resonated in my soul. I thought, wow, how much would our world, our lives be different if the five unacceptable truths were solved? So in order to commit them to memory, I created an acronym. That's a teacher trick. FIMS. P is poverty. poverty. F is fear of the other. I is illiteracy. M, modern-day slavery, and S, spiritual emptiness, FIMS. So let's all get on the same page of what these means. Let's start with poverty. Do you know that the poverty line in Colorado is $18,255 for one person and up to $37,500 for a family of four? So for a family of four, that's $3,125 per month. Well, the average rent for just a two-bedroom in Loveland is $1,843. The average utility cost is $193. The average monthly food cost for a family of four is $430. So after rent, food, utilities, Wi-Fi and cell phone not included, a family of four would be left with about over $659 for transportation and everything else. A family would need. And this is why we give our time and our treasure to serve organizations like local community kitchens and food banks. Now, these are just local numbers. If you look at global stats, the numbers are staggering. Poverty looks different from country to country, but it feels the same. So let's look at the, the next one, the fear of the other. So this is essentially both the unconscious and purposeful exclusion of people who are different from you. Now, I think we could all come up with examples of purposeful exclu exclusion, right? Examples like separate schools based on race or ability, or examples like only white men could vote prior to 1920, and only white men and women could vote prior to 1964. Examples like in many of today's churches, that do not allow some people to lead and teach based on their gender, transgender, and or sexuality. I mean, come on guys, in churches today, all over the world, I would not be allowed to teach and learn with you from the stage. Exclusion is real. So now, identifying examples of unconscious exclusion are more difficult to see because purposeful exclusion is all about what others are doing to others. You probably don't see yourself there. But unconscious exclusion is all about you. Your own personal and deeply buried bias of your fear of the other. Breathe. Everybody breathe. Unconscious bias are social stereotypes or beliefs about certain groups of people that individuals form outside of their conscious awareness. Did you get that? Outside of their conscious awareness. These beliefs have been formed within you over the course of your life, and unless you've done work to bring them to the surface, they still live within you. Everyone, everyone has unconscious bias. So I want you to visualize a highly skilled nurse. Picture them, picture their uniform, picture them tending by the bedside of a patient. Do you got it? You got that nurse? Now, did you picture a woman? I'm gonna bet yes. 
It's because you have a low-level unconscious bias that nursing is a singular gender field. But did you know that the percentage of nurses who are men has grown by 59% since 2013? Now, this unconscious bias may seem harmless, but it can quickly turn into purposeful exclusion. So say, for instance, you're talking to a young boy, and you're like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And he says, I want to be a nurse. Now, your immediate reaction, it's possible that you may encourage him, but with your unconscious bias lying dormant in your heart, it's more likely that you might look shocked or surprised or laugh. And you might even say something like, a nurse, how about a doctor? But on the flip side, if you ask a young girl what she wants to do when she grows up, and she says, I want to be a nurse, you might encourage her in that choice. All this is a very, very simplified breaking down of gender inequality. But I'm hopeful that you can see that becoming aware of your own personal bias can lead to a change in our responses to the people around us and in the world. Okay, so stick with me now. So the layer on top of the unconscious bias is a manifestation of your affinity bias, okay? So affinity bias is a tendency to favor people who are similar to you through age, identity, ethnicity, economic background. So think of your circle of friends, not family by blood or marriage like the people that you've invited to your home or gone out for a meal or coffee or they've invited you to their home. Just think of those friends. Now, let me ask you something. Are any of them different, a different ethnicity than you? Are any of them a different sexuality than you? Are any of them gender fluid or transgender? And I'm going to bet that for the majority of you, here, of you here today, your friends are the same ethnicity as you, the same sexuality as you, and identify as cisgender. Now, by the way, well, side note, cisgender means that you identify with the gender that you were assigned with at birth and probably use traditional pronouns. I know, when you got up this morning, you didn't think this is what church was going to be. I promise you. Jesus has a message for us. And he, I'm going to show you in the Bible in just a second. For instance, okay, I was assigned a female at birth, and I've continued through my life to identify as a woman, and I use she, her pronouns. I am a cisgender woman. So back to our example of our affinity bias and how we tend to surround ourselves with people just like us. Well, you may say, Aisha, that's not fair. We live in northern Colorado. It's Vanilla Valley. But did you know that 17% of, peop of people living here are not white? Living in Fort Collins and Loveland. That's about 41,775 people, almost 42,000 people, who identify as a different ethnicity than you if you are white. Perhaps if you don't have any of these 42,000 people in your circle of friends, you may have an affinity bias that is layered over an unconscious bias. Breathe. Also, there are over 1.6 million identified transgendered people living in America. We can simply no longer say 
that we are peacemakers if we haven't tackled our own bias and beliefs about who is invited to our circle. So much so that after we finish today's lesson on the FIMS, what they are, we're going to take a deep dive into what Jesus asks of us in terms of eliminating the fear of the other. All right, so moving on. Let me shake that off, guys. I, illiteracy. My personal life goal is to coach schools to make it their living purpose to ensure high levels of learning, that means grade levels or above, for all. Where all means all, regardless of race, gender, economic status, identified disability. But illiteracy is real. It's defined simply as the ability to read and write. But I also like to add, it's a lack of knowledge in a specific subject. So functioning literacy is the ability to read short texts and understand basic vocabulary. In the U.S., get this, guys, in the U.S., there are 57.4 million people who are identified as illiterate. In the U.S. Further, it mostly impacts black and Hispanic people along with people from low-income status. This is not just a matter of teaching and learning, but also social justice. In Colorado, 17% of people are considered illiterate. Colorado ranks 17 out of all the U.S. states with the highest illiteracy rates. Our home. This is an unacceptable truth. M, modern-day slavery. It's the denial of a person's freedom by way of force, manipulation, or coercion. At a minimum, this can be broken into two categories, sex trafficking and labor trafficking. There are approximately 27.6 million people in forced labor around the world. Of that, approximately 6.3 million are in sexual exploitation, and the rest are in forced work labor. So, in 2021 in Colorado, there were 137 cases reported to the National Human Trafficking Hotline. That's in Colorado. In northern Colorado, homeless and LGBTQ plus youth are the most at risk of being forced into modern-day slavery. So what are we going to do? The five unacceptable truths almost seem insurmountable, right? But that's not the thinking of Jesus. He said, follow me, and we're going to find out why. So if you remember back to the teaching, if you were here on March 12th that I did about earthly and heavenly realms, we learned that the two realms are not separate, but rather intersecting. We learned that Jesus was so clear in his life mission that he didn't hesitate to act on the gifts he was given. So let's use that intersectionality as a way to see Jesus as he calls his first disciples. So this is in Luke 5, 1 through 11. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by the lake, Jenner Surat. He saw two boats on the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put it a little out from the land. Then he sat down and he was teaching the crowds from the boat. But when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, the, put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll put the nets down. 
So when he did this, they caught a great number of fish that their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat, like, come on, come help. And they came and they filled both boats with fish, so much so that the boat started to sink. But when Simon Peter saw this, he fell to Jesus' knees. He said, go away from me because I am a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of the fish they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. So Mark, Matthew 4, 18 through 20 and Mark 1, 16 through 20 basically tell the same story, but Luke's has a bit of a twist. Luke shows the miracle, and this reveals the heart of witnessing. Miracles are simply evidence of the intersectionality of the heavenly realm and the earthly realm. Jesus uses the miracle of the fish filling the nets to demonstrate that God is bigger than we think. We, as ancient and contemporary believers, put God in a box. We put humanness on him, but God is bigger than we think. Whether he is using obvious miracles to awaken your soul or inspiring you in some other way, it is clear that God is calling you to follow Jesus in peacemaking ways. So what does it mean to belong? Because for me personally, growing up in northern Colorado, I've been told in many different ways that I don't belong, that I'm an other. And I know I am seen as an other by simply because of the color of my skin. But what if the color of my skin isn't what Jesus sees in me, seeks in me as an identifying factor? What if my heart is what he seeks? What if my human pain and my human joy is what he seeks in me. Because then, well then, I belong. And I belong to him. And so let's pay that forward to the same thinking. What if Jesus is not seeking out someone's gender identification or someone's sexual orientation or someone's pocketbook? What if he seeks their hearts too? Because then, then they belong to him. And if they belong to him and I follow him, then I have no standing to deny them. Do you see that? We have no authority to exclude who Jesus includes. Following Jesus to peacemaking is the access point to eliminating fear of the other. I'll say it again. Following Jesus to peacemaking is the access point to eliminating the fear of other. Amen. Thank you. So when I was in high school, I asked a boy to a girl's choice dance, and we were friends at school and shared many classes together, and it took every ounce of courage to invite him into my circle that way. But long story short, he was forced to respectively decline once his parents found out the color of my skin. Now, lots of you in the audience to know, today might know the sting of rejection, but do you know the sting due to the color of your skin? It's a different kind of pain to be rejected for the way God created you to be. And I want to say publicly right now that this is the same pain to be rejected based on gender identification or sexual orientation. 
Someone living out their authentic way God created them to be is not a choice. It's a blessing. My story of rejection actually led me to become a lifelong peacemaker through radical inclusion of people who identify in different ways than me. Radical inclusion was modeled time and time again by Jesus. So in both Matthew 4.19 and Mark 1.17, Jesus told the fishermen, follow me. And they did. They dropped their fishing nets and they followed him, spending the rest of their lives learning to love like Jesus. They were just fishermen, probably dirty and smelly, but he chose them. And we know they held their own bias towards others, but Jesus still chose them. Just as Jesus wanted his disciples to learn and to love, he calls us to him for the same reason. He wanted us to learn and to love. He wanted us to learn to live without worry, to learn to live generously, to learn to follow Jesus spiritually, not biblically, to love to invite others and serve them, and to love to invite others into our circle, and to love through faith. So the Bible is here to teach us wisdom and see themes and patterns for peacemaking. It's not meant to be taken literally. So when Jesus says to, says to follow me, what is he saying? When he accepts, when we accept his invitation, he teaches us to live without worry. So remember, I'm going I'm to read another campfire story. But remember, these are not my words. It's the words of another woman because my awesome Bible has campfire stories in them. But we're going to listen to this story called Consider the Ravens, and it's taken from Luke 12:22. And the story so accurately shows Jesus teaching us to live without worry. Leaning against the window, I argued, that's a pelated woodpecker. My husband and son, surrounded the, uh, by bird identification books, said, no, no, that's a red-headed woodpecker for sure. I strained my eyes and I looked up to the dying walnut tree for a pair of big birds nesting in the topmost branch, trying to see if the gorgeous redheads were crested or round. You see, the world of computers, catalogs, vacuuming just sucks my focus, and I can go hours without even looking outside. Maybe that's why I love bird watching. It gives me a sense of the place I'm in, allowing me to stop and notice God's world. In Luke 12, Jesus invites his disciples to look at a creation so that they can learn about God's providence. Consider the ravens. He enjoins, they don't sow or, or reap. They don't have a storeroom or a barn. Yet, God feeds them. Now, when I remember this story, I always get the birds mixed, mixed up. I remember, consider the sparrows. Sparrows are adorable. They're tiny and flighty little things, and obviously God would take care of those darling sparrows. Bless them. But Jesus said ravens, big, black, ominous, croaking ravens. Ravens appear frequently in our myths, stories, and symbols. Remember Edgar Allan Poe's raven speaking nevermore, or the portentous Tower of London ravens? The ravens also appear in Tolkien's The Hobbit, and Shakespeare's Othello. In all of its manifestation, the raven is not an omen of sunshine and happiness. But God cares for these birds. 
So if I were to associate myself with a bird on my bad days, I might choose a raven or a turkey or maybe a crow. Regardless, Jesus nudges me. Aren't you worth more than the birds? He's not asking me to imagine. He's asking me to look. God is taking care of the ravens. It's a fact. They're a little creepy, but God's got them. So when life gets weird and scary, I panic and I think, I have to take care of myself. And we all scramble and forget to look outside our windows, outside of ourselves. We get tied down by the things man has created instead of considering what God has created. And instead of looking at more spreadsheets and emails when things are scary, we can open our eyes and consider God's creation. God's continual provision is always before our eyes. It's his common grace that keeps the sun rising and the earth turning. It's God's providence that keeps his creatures fed and clothed. Indeed, it is his grace that runs before us and behind us, keeping us secure in our own way of worrying, striving, and scheming we could never achieve. So when fear creeps in and crowds your mind and your heart, look outward and consider the ravens. So we've all heard the scripture, right? For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also from Luke 12, 34. But what about just one verse prior in line 33? Sell your possessions and give them to the poor. Anybody done that yet? But we follow the Bible. The Bible is not literal. We look for patterns of wisdom. So, Jesus is teaching in, this, in, in that scripture about giving generously, giving more than we think we can give, and allowing God to do bigger things than we think he can do. Okay, so, so far, Jesus has felt it's important to teach us how to live without worry and how to live generously. But what about how to love? In Luke 14, 12 through 14, Jesus says, he also said to the one who invited him, when you give a lunch or a dinner, don't invite your friends, your brother or sister, your relatives or your rich neighbors, because they might invite you back, and then you'd be repaid. On the contrary, when you host a banquet, invite those who are poor, maimed, lame, or blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. Jesus is teaching us to invite others and serve them. You don't literally need to host a banquet, but you, but you do figuratively need to uncover your own personal bias of the fear of the other. But that's not all. Jesus asks us to love to invite others to your circle. So in Luke 15, all the tax collectors and sinners were approaching to listen to him, Jesus. And the Pharisees and scribes were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them? See, the Pharisees had a big affinity bias. They believed that only people like them had access to the holy seen and unseen. For them, everything was about pomp and circumstance, about rituals, about what they had learned and what they refused to unlearn. But for Jesus... Access to the holy was about the mundane. So we're going to listen to a story here. It's called God's Work in the Mundane. God must care about the mundane because there seems to be an awful lot of it. 
Sure, I mean, the Christian life has some bells and whistles, moments of great kingdom victory, ministry milestones, and emotional connections to God of the universe. But there are also a lot of noses to wipe and toilets to clean. There are oodles of motions to simply go through as on any plain old Tuesday or spirit-filled Sunday. I have to fight the temptation to believe that God is only at work in the big stuff. In fact, Scripture illustrates an inverse reality. Often, God is doing something big in moments that seem small. Here, in Luke 24, we see God do the biggest thing he has done since he spoke all of creation into existence. Jesus has been crucified to take punishment for our sin, then laid in a borrowed tomb. None of that would have amounted to a hill of beans without this. Luke 24, 6, he's not here, he has risen. As a fan of pomp and circumstance, I like to think that of at least a hundred ways I would have announced this big news, like a parade, a sky rider, maybe a big musical number with trumpets. But Jesus took a different approach. He chose obscure people in the middle of a mundane moment to be the mouthpiece for this radical news. Death has been defeated once and for all. Jesus could have appeared to Pilate or Herod or the Pharisees and forced them to eat crow. But instead, the news of the resurrection was given first to a group of women whose testimony would be inadmissible or ignored in a court of law. In Luke 24, 13, we find two obscure disciples, Cleopas and one who goes unnamed, walking to a little village called Emos. Jesus joins them on their walk, but again refuses a flashy entrance. He just simply joins the conversation. Think about every mundane moment in your life, like every season where you feel God isn't doing a thing. Every time you've thought, I'm a nobody, God can't use me, then read these passages again. Because Jesus announced his resurrection from the dead to an unknown disciple walking down an unnamed road to an unimportant town. Ta-da! From there, we move on to a little room filled with 11 disciples. And instead of saying, I'm alive! He said, do you have anything to eat? See, big stuff in the little stuff. Every marketing team in the world would call this a mistake. But Jesus knows how to multiply loaves and fishes. The message he entrusted to nobodies somehow made it to our ears and our hearts 2,000 years later. So maybe we learn to see God's hand in the mundane as we walk our own Emos Road. And Jesus also teaches us to love through faith in Luke 17, 11 through 19. The story goes that Jesus healed 10 men with leprosy on the road to Jerusalem, and nine of the men went to go see the priests, not knowing Jesus had already healed them. But one, a Samaritan, saw that he was healed and returned to give glory to God. And Jesus famously said to him, your faith has saved you. Now, I like all parts of this story, but remember, the Bible isn't literal. Maybe Jesus healed 10, maybe he healed two, maybe he was on a traveling road, maybe he wasn't. But the wisdom in the story is twofold. One, that it's an outsider, an other, that recognized the blessing. And two, that Jesus acknowledged this other 
belong to him through faith. Now, actually, I think there's a third point in this, is that Jesus even stopped to speak, to get near, or to heal people with leprosy, the ultimate other of his time. The wisdom in this pink book here teaches us to love through faith and include others. I'm not, much, I'm not just sure how much clearer we can get here, and I'll say it again. To follow Jesus means to learn and to love. To learn to live without worry, to learn to live generously, to learn to follow Jesus spiritually, not biblically. And to love to invite others and serve them. To love to invite others into your circle and to love through faith. It's so clear that Jesus came to seek and to save all of us. And remember, all means all. Not all if you have the right color of skin, not all if you're born the right gender, not all if you love the right gender, all of us. Why all of us? Well, it's simple. Jesus was a peacemaker, and he wants us to be too. So I have two ways for you to confront your own fear of the other. And as I get to this, I want to invite our band up and I, well, here's what I want you to do to confront your fear of the other. Invite three people who don't look like you or share the same identifiers as you to come to a Crossroads Church event this month. I even came up with a script you could use. Get this. Hi, I go to this awesome church in Loveland where we believe in radical inclusivity. I'd love to invite you to come next Sunday at 10 a.m. Okay. The next way to confront your fear of the other is to pray on a guiding question. Which of the five unacceptable truths is God calling me to be a peacemaker, and what am I going to do about it? Now remember how in both Matthew 4.19 and Mark 1.17, Jesus told the fishermen, follow me, and they did. I've invited the band to play a special song for you now as we complete our practice of generously giving through the weekly offering. The first time I heard this song, the lyrics just like awakened me to Jesus' calling in my own life. I want you to pay special attention to the lyrics and just allow them to reach past any bias and reach into your heart. I want you to be able to hear Jesus call out to you, follow me. You can follow me. And I invite the room host forward, and this is the time to put your connect cards and your giving envelopes in the basket. And with that, I turn it over to our encounter.